Um, just so you know, there, there won't be um, really a PowerPoint uh, this morning. There'll just be uh, one image up behind me. Uh, so don't be, don't be looking for anything else. Um, last, last Sunday, uh, Peter Howe uh, qu- uh, shared a quotation with us from a profound theologian um, called Elsie Howe. Um, and Elsie, the week before last, came bursting out of her childminders uh, and ran to her mum and said, we don't need to be sad because Jesus isn't dead anymore. He's alive. Um, and I don't really have anything to add to that this morning. That is um, as good as it comes in terms of proclaiming the message of the resurrection. So everything I say, you can consider a footnote uh, to the thoughts of Elsie Howe. Um, but I want to read this morning uh, some very famous words from John chapter 20. Um, you can follow in your own Bible, or you may just want to listen uh, to these words. Um, John chapter 20, we're going to focus on the character of Mary Magdalene this morning and her encounter with Jesus at the tomb. John chapter 20 from the first verse. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. I'm going to skip past a bit where Peter and John then run to the tomb and find it empty, as Mary had said. But down to verse 11, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, If you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Um, I, I find myself wondering, um, I wonder I wonder how Mary expected this day to go. Um, she came early in the morning to the tomb. Uh, The other Gospels tell us that she came with other women and that they came with perfume and spices for the body to prevent decay. That was the purpose. Um, And I guess I find myself thinking, although the the, the culture around burial is very different and some of those details are very different, um, in in its kind of human heart, it's a very recognizable scene. Today we might come a little while after the funeral, to lay flowers on the grave. 
and to have a quiet moment of reflection, to remember the person, to weep. Um, I think it's probably true to say even today, it might more often be the women who come to do this. Um, I think it's safe to assume Mary expected to do what they had come to do. Um, bring the spices, bring the perfume, do what they had come to do, and then go home. And maybe to be alone, or maybe to be with friends and comfort each other in their grief. And probably she was expecting the coming days would contain more of the same, those strange days after a funeral, um, of grieving, of remembering, of weeping, as well as trying somehow to return to normal life. And the it's a it's a familiar story and pattern of human grief. We, we don't find it hard to imagine the, the humanity of that. Because, and the, I guess the reason we don't find it hard to imagine is that nothing is more familiar and inevitable than death. People live for a little while and then they die. That's, that's how every human story ends. Sometimes it comes sooner than expected because of illness or accident, sometimes it comes at the end of a long and happy life. But death comes to everyone. Life is followed by death as night follows day. It is completely predictable. And while life is fleeting, we live just for a little while, death is forever. Um, it goes on and on. Um, and I find myself, when I read this story, thinking it's easy to criti criticize Mary and the other disciples. I don't know when you're reading it, sometimes do you think, why are they so slow to realize what has happened? Even when the stone is rolled away, even when Mary meets angels, the coin doesn't drop. She doesn't realize what has happened. She's still looking for a body. Um, but I don't think we should be too quick to criticize. Of course, that is what you would think in those circumstances, because those who die don't come back. Um, and I know we've, we've said before, maybe in reflecting on the resurrection, um, one of the most foolish things that people sometimes say is that those early disciples were able to swallow the idea of, of the resurrection because they were primitive pre-scientific people who believed in such nonsense as if we needed modern science to tell us that dead people don't come back. We didn't, we didn't need Newton or Einstein to tell us that. You just needed eyes in your head to see the pattern. People live, people die, people don't come back, and the body decays, and no matter what perfume and spices you bring, you can't turn back that, uh, that direction of decay. Uh, this is inevitable. This pattern is lived out again and again and again. It is inevitable. Um, and sometimes the inevitability of death can come to dominate our minds. It can come to dominate our thinking. I've been thinking about some phrases that the Bible uses. It talks about living under the shadow of death. That's a very evocative image. Um, it can come to dominate our minds. Um, or Paul talks about living under the law of sin and death. It's like a law that governs all of life. Or Paul talks about live, how we live with creation in bondage to decay. Those are, those are all very powerful words about how the shadow of death can kind of lie over everything. Everything spirals downward toward the grave and that can come to dominate our thinking. 
Uh, one old hymn writer wrote, Swift to its close ebbs out life's little day. Earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Change and decay in all around, I see. That's a picture of um, how that, that picture of decay, uh, we can see it everywhere. Everything winds down, everything, all joys dim, all glories pass away. Um, I wonder if you noticed that, that the shadow of death can come to lie over everything. Um, I Usually when I'm preaching, I try to avoid illustrations about football because I know that can be alienating to the many people who hate football. Uh, but I'm going to risk one this morning. Um, I have been a fan all my life of a team called Tottenham Hotspur or Spurs. Um, and recently, up to yesterday, um, things have been going quite well for Spurs. Um, but there's a, there's a really interesting thing among Spurs fans where whenever things are going well, and this is probably true of a lot of teams, but uh, definitely for Spurs fans, when things are going well, Spurs fans will express to each other a feeling that it is inevitable that the wheels will come off soon. We're going to find a way to mess it up. And actually, that seemed to start yesterday. So it's all starting to fall apart. Um, a few weeks ago, um, we suddenly had uh, a week or two of bright sunshine. You may have noticed um, everybody had a little skip in their step. Everybody was a little happier, a little more jolly. But also, we kept reminding each other that it wasn't going to last. I lost count of the number of people who told me it's going to break on Wednesday. It's going to break. <laughs> it's going to break on Saturday. Um, or even a, a young man, a teenager I bumped into in the neighbourhood, told me this is probably our summer. Um, and so the the spur for the Spurs fan and the Northern Irish weather watcher, that mindset is born out of experience. We've seen the pattern again and again. The purple patch of good football is followed by whatever ugly colour is not a purple patch. That comes next. Um, the days of sunshine are followed by days of wind and rain and, and so on. But that mindset of decay can come to dominate our minds. This idea that all good things must come to an end. Nothing good lasts forever. Joys grow dim. Glories pass away. That is life lived in the shadow of death. Life is always inevitably followed by death. But in the passage we read, Mary's day doesn't go as she expected. First, the empty tomb. Then the angels. Then she meets someone she assumes is the gardener. And still she doesn't see. Of course she doesn't see, because like us, her mind is dominated by the laws of decay and death. And then... He speaks her name and everything changes because she realizes something has happened which breaks all the rules, which disrupts and interrupts the pattern of the inevitable. Um, again and again and again, life has been followed by death, the end. Life has been followed by death, the end. But now death has been followed by life. And of course, this moment changed the course of Mary's day for a start. Instead of going home to reheat a casserole and watch TV or whatever people did in the first century, or to huddle together with her friends for comfort, she is sent as a carrier of good news. She is given this tremendous 
privilege and honor of being the first witness to the resurrection of Jesus, uh, to something that changes the rules for everyone. And Jesus says to her, go and tell my brothers. Go and tell them. And so it changes the course of Mary's day, but then it goes on to change the course of her life and for the rest of them as well. Um, This becomes the defining story of their life. Jesus was dead. Now he is alive. And so everything has changed. Um, When we were reading from John 20, the, the way John tells the story is very deliberate. You can go back and read it again later. Um, He begins by saying, on the first day of the week, and if we know our Bible and know the the background of the Old Testament, it reminds us of that first week of creation, uh, the days of the week, the days of creation. John says, while it was still dark, and again, our minds go to Genesis and the darkness that was over the surface of the deep. And even that little detail where John tells us that Mary thought he was the gardener. And again, we think of another garden in the beginning. Everything about the way John tells the story is reminding us of the beginning of Genesis. Why? Because John is wanting to tell us that the resurrection of Jesus is not just one isolated miracle in the middle of history, as amazing as that would have been, but it is nothing less than the first day of a new creation. That is what he is announcing. Um, And so I think every year I try and keep this quotation out of my Easter sermon because I use it too often, but uh, it keeps finding its way back in. So I'm going to read you the words of G.K. Chesterton. He said, On the third day, the friends of Christ, coming at daybreak to the place, found the grave empty and the stone rolled away, and in varying ways they realized the new wonder. But even they hardly realized that the world had died in the night. And what they were looking at was the first day of a new creation with a new heaven and a new earth and an assemblance of the gardener. God walked again in the garden, in the cool, not of the evening, but of the dawn. That's what, that is what John is announcing. It's the first day of a new creation. It's a new day. It's a new dawn. Everything has changed. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. And maybe what I've been inspired by in a fresh way this week is we can't believe in his resurrection and go on thinking and living as we did before. Because Jesus has created a new kind of inevitability where death is followed by life, where darkness is followed by dawn, where sorrow and weeping are followed by joy. And for those who are following Jesus, for those whose lives are joined to Jesus, this is now inevitable, this pattern. Um, And so as you and I live in a world that is still in the shadow of death, and we're really aware this morning that it is, it is still dark in our world. Uh, But we live as people who know that it won't last. We're not denying that these things are real. We need to acknowledge the weight of sorrow in our world and the weight of darkness and the weight of death. But our eyes have been opened to a greater reality, the life that Jesus brings. He is the first fruits of a new creation, but he brings a whole kingdom of life in his wake. 
And so that's why Christians are able to say remarkable things like this. Andrew Peterson, the songwriter, says, all this darkness is just a small and passing thing. Um, Frederick Buechner, the writer, says, all the death that ever was set next to life would scarcely fill a cup. He's not denying how heavy death is. He's saying there's something greater that has been revealed. Paul writes uh, in Romans, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. Or he says in in 2 Corinthians, our troubles that we live through are light and momentary compared to the eternal glory which far outweighs them all. Do you hear what Paul's saying? He's not, Paul lived through scourging and shipwreck and imprisonment and the death of people he loved. He, he knew, he knew the weight of sorrow, but he had seen something that was far weightier, which was the weight of glory, which was the weight of the life that Jesus, uh, risen from the grave brings to us. I find myself wondering, um, what would it mean for you and I if this reality came to dominate our minds? If instead of having minds governed by the law of death and decay, our minds were governed by the new law of resurrection, it would mean that whenever we see darkness, we would always look for the dawn. Whenever we're surrounded by death, we would always look for life. Whenever there's sorrow and weeping, we would always look for joy and gladness to overtake us and sorrow and sighing to flee away. Um, I find myself thinking this week, we must not, as believers in Jesus, live as if darkness and death and sorrow are the dominant inevitable reality. Um, If Jesus has risen as the first fruits of a new creation, then the old world of death and decay is itself passing away. And we live knowing that light and life and joy are inevitable. And this new kingdom of life will never die. And so Paul writes in Romans 8, through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Let me read that again. Through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Or a few verses later, he says, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. And so let me bring it into land and say this. Um, I don't know where you're at in your life at the minute, but let me, let me say this. If you are struggling with habits of sin and destructive habits that you can't break a hold of, it is not inevitable that you will go on struggling forever. And if you're struggling with fear and anxiety, which lie over your life like a blanket, it's not inevitable that this will always be your daily reality. And if you're struggling in your marriage or in another relationship in your life that's breaking your heart, it's not inevitable that it will stay stuck or keep declining. And if you've been praying with tears for someone you love who is sick or sad or addicted or far from God, it is not inevitable that they will remain in that place. Um, And we can even go bigger and say, as we get ready for another election in Northern Ireland and the posters are up and we are so tired of the same old, same old story, it is not inevitable 
that it will go on forever. And even when we think about something as overwhelming as war, which can dominate so much of our minds at the moment, our minds do not need to be dominated by death and darkness and sorrow. I find myself thinking this week, as we pray for the people of Ukraine and the people of Russia, what does it mean to be people of resurrection hope? What would it mean to pray for people in Ukraine and in Russia that they would turn around as Mary did today and see the risen Jesus and hear him speak their name? What difference would that make if that happened? Um, They would still be in the middle of the demonic horror of war. It would still be dark. And yet they would also know at the core of their being, this is not the final reality. And they would know that the sunrise is coming and that war and death and sorrow are only ever for a little while. And the life of God's eternal kingdom will be forever. I find myself remembering how during the Second World War, as bombs were falling on Britain, people in pubs and working men's clubs around the country would quiet down around the radio, not to hear the news, I'm sure they did that too, but to hear C.S. Lewis talk about the message of Jesus. And there was a hunger in people to hear. And at about the same time that Lewis was doing that in Britain, in Germany, a preacher called Helmut Thielicke was giving a series of public talks in the city of Stuttgart with members of the SS standing, uh, watching him at the back of the room on the basics of the Christian faith. And it was standing room only with, uh, and someone who was there said there was an atmosphere of intense listening like, like they'd never experienced before. And a whole team of people typed up the talks and sent them out all over the country and even to the front lines because even in a time of war, maybe especially in a time of war, with death all around, those Christians believed that they had good news to share that death will not have the final say. And so I find myself thinking it's important for us to remember in a time of war, uh, it's important for us that we don't lose heart. We believe God weeps with those who weep, and that is so important. Um, But as Glenn said in his video, if all Jesus came to bring was tears, we've got plenty of those. He, He came not just to bring tears and to weep with those who weep, but to bring a new possibility and a new beginning and a new creation. And so I need to, I need to bring myself down to land. I get overexcited on Easter Sunday. Um, my last few words. Um, because Jesus is alive, we know that this is inevitable, that God will bring the story of our world to a good ending, and he will finally destroy all the powers of evil and darkness. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And he will wipe every tear away and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. And the one on the throne will say, look, I am making all things new. And no longer will all things decay and decline downwards towards the grave, but now they will rise upwards towards life and life and more life further up and further in. This is inevitable. 
And so I want to encourage you uh, this morning, go and live like this is true. And go and tell your brothers. (laughs) And go and tell your neighbours. And go and tell your mum if she needs to hear it. Jesus is alive, so we don't need to be sad. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. Joy and gladness will overtake us. And everlasting joy will crown our heads. Um, Let's pray uh, as we we finish. And then we're going to sing together. Um, Let's pray. Father, I feel, maybe especially on a morning like this, um, I feel my own weakness and I feel the inadequacy of the preacher and the inadequacy of words to convey the mystery and the beauty and the power of what we're talking about. And so I want to pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and carry the reality of these things to the depths of our being where our souls are crying out for good news. Our our souls are crying out for a message of life in a world of death. Father, would you make these things real to our hearts? Would you make them sing in the depths of our hearts? Would we know at the core of our being that Jesus is alive and so everything is being made new? And help us to go and think and live and act as people who believe this is true. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.